You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa, the lead economic development agency for knowledge-based industries in Canada's capital, and with critical support from BDC Capital's Thrive Venture Fund, and also the title sponsor of International Women's Week, we teamed up to produce this special series to celebrate women leading in Ottawa. In support of its women founders and owner strategy, Invest Ottawa offers programs and services that enable and accelerate the growth and success of women entrepreneurs from every walk of life. Visit www.investottawa.ca forward slash women to learn more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hiley, and today I am sitting down with Shay Cole. Shay, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Naomi. Thanks for being here. For the audience, Shay Cole is a growth marketer and brand builder with proven success in scaling teams and businesses. And she's currently the VP Marketing at Field Effect. Shay's experiences span strategy, marketing, sales, and advertising. She's worked on the agency side as well as on the client side for publicly traded companies and tech startups as well, um, making her a really dynamic force. Um, She has an MBA from the University of Toronto and an arts degree from Mount Allison University. Shay is also a mother, so I am really excited to talk about motherhood with you as well. Um, And as the founding member of Lean in Ottawa and a mentor with the Ottawa Community Immigrant Services Organization, she's really dedicated to supporting women in their personal and professional pursuits. She was also born in uh, Massachusetts, but now calls the beautiful Canadian countryside home, where she spends most of her free time in nature. So Shay's done, you know, a couple podcast episodes, and I found one where uh, one of her former colleagues said this beautiful um, piece on her when she was recommending her for another podcast, where she described Shay as a force, a branding queen, and that she really took that company full script from the very early days to an explosive, massive rocket growth um, company and was really instrumental in making that happen. So I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us on The Power of Why. I would love to start with you sharing a little bit about your origin story and like, what do we need to know about the way that you grew up? Sure. Yeah. And thank you so much for all the kind words. Um, My origin story. So I grew up in Massachusetts, as you said, in a very rural community, um, you know, small town America. Um, And the thing that impacted me the most, other than the appreciation for nature that I got from growing up, literally living in the woods, was my mom was such an incredible role model for me. And, you know, she is a career woman herself and um, always impressed on me that, you know, while we love where we live, you need to leave and go experience the world. And then you can Mm -hmm. come back, but like go experience the world because there is more than small town Massachusetts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the diversity of perspective that you get from going out to other places and experiencing other things is what makes you a successful human being. The other really important thing that she told me and always reiterated was forge your own path and Mm -hmm. never be dependent on other people for your success. 
And I think that that has actually been the most important advice that I've ever received. Um, because whenever I feel like, okay, crap, this is not going the way I want. It's that attitude of like, only you can find the way out of this, right? That's, that's what saved me. Like you are going to forge your own path. You are going to be independent and, and, you know, that way the relationships that you have can be focused on love and friendship and learning Mm -hmm. and, you know, sharing good energy because you're not dependent on other people. And the minute that you're not getting the love and the energy and the learning, you can walk away and still be fine. I, so many of my friends grew up in like small towns. What was it about growing up in that type of environment with a mom that also saw beyond that almost and like really encouraged you to explore? How did that play a part in in your curiosity and also your willingness to just try things and Mm. tell yourself like, I can figure it out regardless of, of what happens essentially. Yeah. Good question. Well, you know, in small towns, um, they're a little bit slower to adapt and to change and, and to innovate. Right. And so I think that was really one of the reasons why my mom pushed me to, to leave and explore. Mm. And the result of that is I'm really not someone who is scared of change. I am very thoughtful about risk in the sense that like when I am facing a change, I will certainly think very carefully through, okay, Mm -hmm. like what are the potential outcomes here and what's the worst that could happen and what's the best that could happen and what's likely to happen. But if I see a scenario where the worst thing that could happen is not, is maybe not as extreme as the best thing that could happen, then I'm not someone who will shy away from change at all. And I do think that there is a huge benefit to just taking the risk and embracing change sometimes. And it's definitely paid off for you. Um, I remember in our earlier conversation, you talked about growing up and not really thinking that you were good at math. So you pursued an Mm -hmm. arts degree. And I would be curious to learn when things switched for you when you were like, okay, I am good at math. And this is actually challenging and this is encouraging me to think, you know, more creatively in the fields that I'm in. So if you can like talk us through how that maybe conditioning in your childhood or even Mm -hmm. being, you know, in a school environment, when that shifted for you in your early career and opened up a whole new world for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always got a lot of praise for my creative skills from a very young age. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I got a lot of praise for my artwork and my writing. And anytime we had to do like a a presentation or a poster or a diorama, I got a lot of praise. And so I was pushed in that direction of like, you're a creative person very early on. I didn't do poorly in math, but... I was the top of my class when it came to anything to do with creativity or communication. And I wasn't in that top spot on the math side of things. And so in my mind, that meant, well, if I'm not the best, I must not be good. Right. And, Mm. (laughs) um, and so that was, first of all, very, a, a wrong way to, to look at it for sure. And then Second of all, I think like the math that you do in school or maybe education has evolved. I hope it has. But 
back then, the math that we did in school was never really presented in a way that was applicable to what I saw as life skills. It was like, here's this formula, learn how to do it. But we didn't really understand why. And so, um, you know, when I had the opportunity to stop taking math courses, which was, I think, 11th and 12th grade, because I had advanced far enough in math um, until then, I was able to opt for like science courses instead of math. When I did my undergrad, the requirement for the arts degree was you needed to take either a science or a math. So I could choose. And so I took psychology instead of a math. Then when I entered the agency world after I graduated, I initially Mm -hmm. thought I was going to be on the creative side, right? Doing graphic design. But I very quickly fell in love with the strategy side of marketing, which is actually quite quantitative. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's applying quantitative techniques to create a, a creative output. And so all of a sudden I started to see a why in the math and that's when things changed for me. Um, And, but I realized I needed that math education. And so that's why I went back to school and I did my MBA because um, I didn't have any education on the quantitative side of business. And um, I went to business school and, and took the, you know, stats and accounting and finance and statistical modeling and economics most of my classmates had like a business degree or a math degree, an engineering degree. And I was the only one there with my, my fine arts degree, my, my painting major. (laughs) So it was not like, that was a big change and not an easy change. Um, But man, am I happy I did it because Mm -hmm. now the field of marketing is only becoming more and more. Oh, absolutely. Data focused and quantitative focused. I like, I'm thinking numbers all day, every day. And you have this mantra where you say, I can do hard things. And I'm sure like when you first started, you know, your program without that background, did you at any point, did you ever talk yourself out of it? Like, am I making the right decision? What have I gotten myself into? Or did you know fairly early that this was going to help you, you know, propel in other ways? I mean, I think that, that, um, business schools, they they do a very good job of marketing their own programs and showing mm-hmm. students the benefit of having that degree. And so I always knew it was going to be worth it. And it was. It was a hit to my confidence when I got there and I was like, this is not as easy for me as it is for some of these other students who already have the business education or already have like stat skills. And I had to, I, I got advice from an upper, uh, a second year student who told me, they don't really design business school so that you can be successful at everything. If you wanted to do every single reading and spend an appropriate amount of time studying for every exam and participate in every case competition and go to the networking events mm-hmm. and take advantage of the, the tutorials and, and, and there's so many things to do. It's not actually humanly possible to do them all and do well at them all. And so you have to, you have to have that constant internal dialogue about like, okay, what's important for me today? And just accept the fact that like, you can't do it all. You can't be great at it all. And thank God I learned that lesson early because man, does it apply now that I have kids and a career? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. the same thing, you know? Yeah. And you've, you've worked, you know, as we stated in your bio for 
fast growing startup companies for larger corporations. And so, and, and pretty senior roles at that, right? Um, where you're leading teams, where you have people who are reporting to you, where you're having to make decisions, you know, every day. And so I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how you used the skills that you learned on the quantitative side and walk us through like an example of how you've been able to do this as a marketer. If there's like your favorite case study or, you know, something that you've um, something that was really impactful to for the people or the organizations you were working at. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll I'll talk about the importance of market research when it comes to marketing, right? Because understanding um, the best practices when it comes to market research really is rooted in understanding how stats works. And something that is really powerful is when you can understand your market, your addressable market, or your, your, you know, your target audience through the lens of real data, right? You're not just guessing what they Mm -hmm. like, or like, you know, talking to a few people here and there is good directionally, but it's not statistically significant. Um, And so something that I really like to leverage if I, if I have the time and the money to do so is a segmentation analysis which is, um, is, is basically a cluster analysis, right? So you are putting a, a, a very targeted survey out there to the entire market of people who you think you could potentially sell your product to. And you're not, you want to go in there not making, um, not having any preconceived assumptions about what differentiates groups, right? What you want to do is really let the data tell you what differentiates mm. group. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might find that when it comes to consumption of your particular type of product, people's age doesn't really determine a difference in behavior or attitudes or beliefs towards that product, but their geography does or their education level does, right? And so that gives you something to to really dig in on when it comes to marketing is you start to understand which variables are actually important when it comes to targeting mm. your, your product. And in the tech space, what's really interesting about segmentation is you have a really good segmentation where you understand which clusters exist within your market. Then when someone comes into your funnel through, you know, a form fill or through like, you know, they're talking Content to a sales marketing. rep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can ask them, like very specific questions to try to type them into one of those clusters. And then you can feed them content that speaks to their, you know, those variables that define the cluster, right. And those attitudes and beliefs that define the cluster. And that's how you create um, a more targeted funnel all the way down to someone being um, a loyal customer. Hmm. And you've you've taken these strategies and you've helped companies in the health space, working with you know very technical and professional customers, let's say. And as you think about marketing and from a career perspective, because I'm thinking about my audience and the different avenues of business that they're in, I'm wondering. 
is marketing marketing wherever you go for you or have you really enjoyed the the nuances that come with being in a particular industry mm. um i'm wondering out of like out of curiosity and also how you've been able to steer your career for folks who are in the early stages and maybe you know have questions about what space they want to be in mm-hmm. Every company is different. There are marketing fundamentals that hold true that are are really psychology based. However, technology changes so rapidly in the like on the martech side, um, and so that's something that is different. Not just every job I've had, but every year, even every quarter, marketing tech changes. And so the way that we serve ads and the way that we connect with our customers and the way that we mine data to create content, it's changing constantly. The other thing that really will determine how you approach marketing for a particular company or product is how the product is sold, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was working for Anheuser-Busch InBev, um, our products were you know, Budweiser, Bud Light, Stella Artois, Corona. Um, and so we didn't, we didn't sell the products ourselves, right? Our marketing team was responsible for generating awareness and affinity for the products. And yeah, we were responsible for giving our partners who were selling our products tools so they could sell, but mm-hmm. we weren't doing the selling. And so it really, really changes the approach versus, you know, working for a software company where you are responsible for literally following that person all the way from they're aware of your product to they have paid for your product. They're renewing that payment. Mm-hmm. They're not churning. They're giving you a referral. Like it's, it's a, a much closer relationship. Um, and so a completely different approach to marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering less on the market marketing side, but more from like a leadership and strategy perspective, like you've been a part of growing teams, growing, you know, organizations. What have you learned about building great teams, building loyal teams, let's say that are inspired that feel a connection to the mission of the organization? Like, how have you done that in your career? I think that the the most important thing is who you hire and making sure that, that they're excited to join the company when you hire them. And then, you know, keeping them excited is easier if they're starting off excited. And if the rest of the team also starts off excited about them. One thing I have learned is, there's actually a, a Harvard Business School um, case about it's about the the relationship between your level of competence and your level of likability. They did this study where they saw that managers in general would say that they preferred someone to be competent than likable if they could only choose one. Um, but then when the researchers actually observed people interacting with mm. different people on the team, if someone was highly competent, but very unlikable, nobody wanted to work with them. And so it didn't matter how competent they were because they weren't effective within that team because everyone was like, well, that person's a jerk. I don't really want to include them in my project. So that was something that was a hard lesson for me in my career because my like log- very logical brain was like, okay, I can see this person is smart. They know what they're talking about. They're going to be good at their job. 
I'm going to give them lots of opportunities to reward that competence. But if you have someone who is toxic and is not contributing to the positive energy on the team, it's not, it doesn't matter how competent they are. That's not something you can reward. And I have found that that toxicity can be contagious. And when as a leader, you're working really hard to keep everyone engaged and excited and passionate about the work, one toxic person can make that job next to impossible. Mm -hmm. That is uh, very true. And I've been in work environments where that was painfully true and clear. Um, And I think understanding how to identify, which is kind of what you're doing in marketing too, like how to identify those situations before they happen or before they get, you know, out of control. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about motherhood and as someone who is very ambitious and as someone who is very like career oriented, I'm wondering when you decided you wanted to start a family and you mentioned like putting your career on pause, what were some of the, what were some of the things that you were navigating mentally and emotionally? Oh man, I, I think that, um, it ties back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Where I was always told like, you can forge your own path and you can do all the things, right? You just have to go out and do it, like make it happen for yourself. And, you know, I grew up watching my extremely high functioning mother literally do like, well, seemingly do it all, right? She had two kids and she volunteered and she did two master's degrees while she was working full-time and raising two kids. And like, my dad was a pilot, so he was gone half the time. So I just, and like, you know, we didn't have a ton of family or support around. So I'm sure she struggled with that and made some sacrifices, but she didn't really show it. And so as much as that, confidence that she gave me has been really powerful in my life. At the same time, I, it never really occurred to me that I was going to put my, my career on pause to, to have children. You know, I just thought, oh yeah, I want to have kids. And like, I like lots of women are mothers and successful in their career. And like, I literally did not think twice about it. Um, and so I'm in Canada and we have extended mat leave, you know, it's anywhere up to even 18 months now. Um, Your job is reserved for you. If you want to take mat leave, you're not fully paid for that entire time, but a lot of companies do um, a top up um, Mm -hmm. so that, you know, the government pays for part of your salary and the company will top up for a certain period of time. So people take long mat leaves and um, it's just unfortunate that no one talks about the fact that like, it's really, really hard to come back from a year away from the company and expect your job to be the same. You know, it's just kind of next to impossible unless you work at a company where the paces is more slow um, and the industry is more like stabilized and constant. But in tech startups, a year is so long, so Mm -hmm. much changes in a year. Like the size of the company could double in a year. And they can't wait for you. So the amount of opportunities that I missed during that time is, you know, is 
probably staggering. Like I, I don't know all the opportunities that I missed because how would you know? But there's, there's for sure some of them that I have identified that I'm like, okay, I would have had the opportunity to participate in that or weigh in on that or, you know, hire that person or save that person from, from leaving or, you know, whatever it is, build that relationship with that person or, or crush that goal, improve myself. And I didn't because I was gone for all that time. And it's just like one of those like pills that you got to swallow, you know, and I just want to talk to women about it more so that they feel more mentally prepared before they go into that and just reassure them that like, Hey, you know, yeah, it's going to be a a pause while you're doing this thing with your baby. And that's probably going to be really rewarding and, and worthwhile. It doesn't mean that the return to work isn't going to be hard but you also have your entire career ahead of you. You say like um, helping other women be more prepared for that mental mm-hmm. shift or that like lifestyle shift in, in so many different ways, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you have a support system around you? Um, we don't have family that lives nearby, but um, my parents came, like they, they come several times a year and, and stay mm-hmm. for extended periods of time. So does uh, my partner's mother. So we do have that support. We've got you know, neighbors that are really close friends and will help us out picking up kids and stuff in a pinch. But I think actually the most valuable thing that happened was this shift to remote work was so, so valuable for me. And as much as I do miss that in-office spur of the moment, like whiteboarding session or like brainstorm, um, like standing around the office, like I miss those things. But the value that I get from being able to work from home and not have to do the commute. It like makes my schedule a lot easier with the daycare drop off and pick up. And like, if, if the, like yesterday, was it yesterday? Wednesday, my son's daycare lost power. And at like 9am, like we had just dropped him off and, um, and they called us and said, okay, well the power's out. So come get him. Right. And if we had both been in the office, that would mean that we both be like canceling all our meetings for the day. But because we both work from home, you know, we can trade off and have a child here while we're still taking calls and taking meetings. And that's a game changer for parents. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely alleviated I think a lot of lifestyle constraints or like pressures that were there for people who have just so many different life situations and you mentioned not really having that in-person like brainstorming session or like impromptu thing that happens when you know they're completely unplanned I'm curious besides like brainstorming in a notebook or on a whiteboard what tools do you typically like using to to brainstorm and come up with new ideas? Yeah, I think that the most important thing for me is recognizing that I I'm not always in a creative mood mm-hmm. and recognizing that when I am in a creative mood, I need to clear time to embrace that. And so, you know, if I'm, if I have a presentation to build or a strategy to think through and I'm just like 
not like, I don't feel like there's a natural kind of flow of ideas happening. I won't, I won't force it. Like there's lots of other things I, I need to get done. I'll spend time responding to emails or I'll spend time like reading through reports or like I'll book some meetings to like check some things off my list. Um, and inevitably there's going to be a moment where I do feel the creative juices flowing. It's not always during my like traditional work hours. Sometimes it's, you know, I get some ideas while I'm making dinner and then I like pull out my phone and I'm writing down notes. And then as soon as I get my kids in bed, I'm like back on my laptop and I'm like plotting it out on a PowerPoint or whatever. But just recognizing when I do start to get ideas about something, I'm gonna like as much as I can drop everything and try to get those ideas out onto slides or a spreadsheet or like even just draw it out, you know, whiteboard it out or whatever, because that energy and that like the creative juices, you want to make sure that you're harnessing those and taking advantage of those when they come. Yeah. I've heard more and more about this and I've started to listen more to my body when I can feel myself getting into the zone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I found like better results when I'm not forcing it. Shay, you're also a mentor and you, you work with women, you work with new immigrants, specifically with the Ottawa Community Immigrant Services Organization. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how and why you find meaning doing this work. You shared a little bit about that motherhood piece earlier, giving information that you wish you had when you started on a particular journey. So can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about why you love mentoring so much? I I really love teaching. And I think that when someone is new to the country, that's like they, they just, they need to learn the culture. They need to learn the vernacular. They need to learn the buzzwords. They need to learn like, you know, okay, here, here are the norms of what people expect your resume to look like. What do I put on my cover letter and how do I network and things like that. It's um, like, this is information that is really easy for me to provide because I, I, I have the, the advantage of having been in North America for my whole life. And we've got some just incredibly intelligent and experienced people that move to this country and feel so lost and defeated because they are, it's, it's a culture shock, right? Where they're like, well, I've got 15 years in marketing, but I'm in these marketing interviews and they're throwing buzz terms at me that I've never heard before. Then you have someone who is incredibly experienced and intelligent um, taking an entry-level job and starting from scratch just because of that culture clash, right? So I just find, you know, it's, it's hard to find great marketing talent. And so if I can help people who have great mm-hmm. marketing talent merchandise themselves and and become more obvious for employers then maybe mm. we solve that problem yeah i'm um, i'm sure you know speaking with people who are adjusting to a new country can be incredibly rewarding especially like you are someone who also writes and you talk about these subjects in terms of like positioning yourself you talked you just mentioned merchandising yourself and that is what it is right that's a little bit of um like the secret sauce to success in the business world and 
it's challenging for some people when they first start out because we are taught at a young age that bragging is not a good thing and and having an ego is not a good thing and like you should be humble um but on the flip side of that in the business world if you don't talk about your work and if you don't find your own opportunities to put your work in front of the boss and the boss's boss and the head honcho and the network and the board etc you're not going to get the opportunities. No one's going to know. It could be the best strategy the company has ever produced, but mm-hmm. if you don't merchandise your work, no one will know and no one will give you credit for it and you won't progress. So you mm-hmm. you got to strike that balance of like sure like be humble but also know when to say, "Hey, let me show you what I what I created." Thank you. Thank you, Shay. Thank you for sharing all of this fantastic um, insight to your experiences, insight to things that have worked for you. Um, I think it's going to be super valuable. The last question that I really love to ask is, what is one thing in your industry that you are really excited about, something that you have your eye on? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm excited about it so much as um, cautiously optimistic, um, but there is a lot of buzz right now about oh, chat AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How did you know I was going to say that? It's the lead up there's, show. There's just so much buzz about it. And it's, it's one of these things that's like, okay, I can, I can see that we're at a turning point here. And the people who embrace this are already gaining an unfair advantage. And so you don't want to be the person or the organization who doesn't. But at the same time, we also know that, you know, algorithms are already starting to figure out when a piece of content, for example, is written by a human versus written by AI. Mm -hmm. And just like the artist in me also hates the idea that an AI, an AI's creative process would replace the creativity of a human. And so I think that's the trick, right? It's like, how do you jump on board and 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 leverage the power of this thing for speed and for scale and for information without letting it replace the creative side of of what humans do mm-hmm. in this field like for copywriters for marketers for people who are storytellers as well mm-hmm. it's a very interesting um it's a very interesting time that we're in Mm -hmm. And, but there's a lot of controversy around it. And there are a lot of um, storytellers and artists who are asking themselves really important questions around, Mm -hmm. should I use this? Um, Is it something that I can embed in my current process? I mean, this has already been a tool that has been used, right, in the industry. But for it to be um, available to the general public like this is, is... is fascinating. So yeah, it's changing everything. And it's, it's, uh, who knows, I mean, maybe it will actually push us back into more in person interactions, because it's one of the only ways where you can't fake it with the help of a, an AI. <laughs> well, for folks who can use it to their advantage, while also 
not letting go of their own creativity and their own creative force, like all the power to you. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's the balance, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, All these tools, you know, there's, there's ways to use them that are, that, that really help people grow and are beneficial. And then there's ways to use them that are maybe a little unfair, but you know, things, things in life just aren't black and white. And sometimes there is a a power to do good that comes along with a power to do evil. And it's all about Mm -hmm. whose, whose hands is that tool in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing your wonderful experiences. It's been an honor to have you as a featured leader with this partnership alongside Invest Ottawa. Um, We will have more episodes coming your way until next time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Naomi. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to the Power of Why podcast. You can find the show notes at naomihiley.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Power of Why on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa and with critical support from BDC Capital's Thrive Venture Fund, title sponsor of International Women's Week 2023. We teamed up to produce this special series in celebration of International Women's Week featuring six inspirational leaders. Visit www.investottawa.ca forward slash IWW to learn more.